announcements to make. Um, next week, the topic for SACPA is emergency preparedness. How ready are you? And the speaker will be Brian Cornforth, Fire Chief and Director of Emergency Planning in the City of Lethbridge. So that's, that's next week here at noon. But even before that, this evening, uh, Robin and Marion are going to be at the Galt Museum and Archives um, presenting a much longer version of uh, the presentation we saw today. So it'll be expanding on some really key elements that our 30-minute time slot didn't give a chance for them to cover. Uh, the, the presentation tonight starts at 7, uh, and it goes until 9, including time for questions and a break. And if you get there right at 7, or even a little bit earlier, uh, there's a chance to go through the Galt Museum's um, exhibit, Earth's Climate in Balance, uh, and that would be for free this evening. So it links in with uh, the topic of the presentation. So if you're really intrigued by this subject, I encourage you to come to the Galt Museum tonight at 7 o'clock. And I'll remind you again that there's books for sale in the foyer. There's one other um, SACPOS co-sponsored event with Women's Space here in Lethbridge, and that's on March 2nd at 6 p.m., that's Friday, March 2nd at 6 p.m. here at Country Kitchen Catering. And it, uh, the, the topic is a garden of earthly delights with Lyndon Penner, a gardening expert from CBC Radio. And Lisa assures me it'll be lots of fun. And there might be little side glances and nudges and things like that. So um, there's a suggestion box in the lobby if you have any suggestions you want to make about today's presentation or anything about SACPA or speakers for the future. We, we'd welcome that. And at this point, I'd like to welcome back uh, Robin and Marion White, um, who will... Um, help answer questions on climate reality, the science, the denial industry, the way forward. I ask uh, that if you have a question, you come up to the mic at the front of the room here because we are recording this. Uh, please state your name and uh, limit your question to one or a brief two questions. So, Robin and Marion, can we have you up here, please? Thank you. Thank you very much for an enlightening presentation. Um, I, I like the idea that you talked about global warming and talked an awful lot about climate change because I think a lot of people just assume that 
global warming necessarily results in increasing earth temperatures and therefore drought, but the reality is quite different. The, the, the climate changes on a worldwide basis, and, and thank you for uh, eloquently uh, talking about that. I would like to play devil's advocate, if, if, you, if I will, if you would let me, sure. and sometimes, you, well, you'd mentioned the um, International Panel on uh, Climate Change, and the skeptics in this world like to seize upon that organization because of a couple of um, rather poor decisions that they have made. The East Anglia Institute, for example, and also um, a spokesman, I believe, from India who made some false declarations regarding the, uh, the glaciers in the Himalaya. And that type of thing does not help the climate change cause. And, it's, and they can cons continuously refer to those two um, situations. So in, in the, the fact is that the IPCC is a, is a very worthwhile organization, but sometimes they have had a habit of shooting themselves in the foot. And I just would like to make one more question, because yeah. you did talk about methane being a very potent um, greenhouse gas. And I wondered if you could shed some light on the contributions of feedlots um, in terms of the overall methane what? concentrations. Sorry, just before you go, what was the first question, though? You didn't have it as a question, more of a statement. I have no idea. I can't remember. <laughs> Um, I think it was mainly the IPCC. Yeah, yeah. and, and what did uh, you want? Okay, I can, I, I can relate to that. The IPCC is, is an organization that compiles and, and, and pulls together. Um, um, it does meta-studies of studies. You study the studies and you add the whole lot up and you see what is the pattern that comes out of that. Now, if you, if you go to the bookstore and you buy a book and it's like 300 pages long, do you think there might be a typo in there somewhere? You bet there probably is. We did a book, and I know one little place where there's one little mistake, no matter how much editing we did. And, um, but they had to put out a report that was nearly 2,000 pages long. And there was one tiny little footnote that had got a, something in it that got overlooked. And, uh, and it was from an old piece of research that hadn't been peer-reviewed. And uh, it kind of got left in there when it should have been taken out. And they knew it should have been taken out, but it didn't get taken out. And so, you know, this is a, a minor, minor, minor thing. Um, and, it's, and they've said it's wrong, and it's no longer in, in their material, subsequent things that they are working on. It won't be in their next report, which comes out in 2014. Um, somebody makes, one person makes uh, some remark in India. Um, he's one person. He's not the mass of the climate scientists that, that contributed to the report. So it, any tiny little thing that they can find, they're, they're absolutely scraping the bottom of the barrel, the, de the deniers, to find anything to try and refute the, uh, the findings of, of this 97% of these top scientists that are working on, on the problem and trying to understand it. And they're absolutely having to scrape the bottom of the barrel, and that shows what a bad position that they have. So that's that. To answer about the feedlots, um, cattle, 
uh, ungulates that, you know, especially with two stomachs, produce a huge amount of methane. And it is a big problem. And so we should eat less meat, red meat. And I'm glad you were eating chicken today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so well done. Give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> I, uh, Thank you so much for your very informative talk. I'm Bev Mendel-Atherstone, and um, I call it a global climatic catastrophe because that's what it is. Global warming, people in Canada say yay. Anyway, my question relates to the measuring of the impact of each of the years when we say that we've got five more years and we've got to do something drastic. When we talk about a year or even a series of years in which things are changing, people tend to relate a year's time with what has happened in the past. But it seems like what is happening now is exponentially increasing. And so how can we, how can we get that point across that the years now are not the same in impact as the years in the past, can we, can we quantify somehow the impact of, say, the year 2010, 2011, 2011, 2012, each of those years? What is the impact on the planet so that we show that each year is, show, is having a more devastating impact? Um, I, I, I don't know exactly. It's a very difficult problem, especially for people in a place like Alberta, because we don't see the worst of the, the problems. We're causing the problem, as are all countries that are pumping out oil and gas and, or digging up coal. We can, we, we, we're the cause of it, but we're not, the, it's not us that are doing the suffering right now. So it's very difficult for us to relate. Uh, if, you know, if, if you um, uh, do something bad and then you immediately get punished, you know, that was a bad thing, and you go and do something else. This is like, how do you raise a child, you know? Um, I'm a psychologist, so... Uh, yeah, this was, it's a psychology this. is difficult, and we still are a very young animal, a very young species on the planet. We've only been around as modern humans for two and a half million years so we, we've got a lot of evolving to do, but we have to do it in, quick. <laughs> um, a lot of animals and you know have learnt not to um, foul their nests, but we don't seem to have learnt that yet. Um, it, it's a difficult issue. Um, yeah. Does, does that ask you answer your question, or are you saying uh, um, what is obvious, what is true, though, is that the longer we delay taking action, if this is more what you're saying, the worse it's going to get. In other words, what came out of Durban was that we're going to have another agreement on climate change, and, that's, and they're going to start work on it soon, but it won't come into effect until 2020. The, inter the uh, International Energy Agency said we only have five years. Okay? Well, if we... The longer we delay it, the, the more, more drastic the cuts backs will have to be without any question at all. And if they say we're going to have an agreement by 2020, you can sure nothing will happen till 2025. By that time, the reductions of greenhouse gas would have to be enormous and, and, and just not going to happen. 
Does that answer your question? Is that what you're getting at? My, my question was more if, <clears throat> if we're up to 0.8% right now, and yes. you said with the 0.6 right. that's in the atmosphere exactly, already, to 1. 4, it's really yeah. equivalent to 1.4. Yes. And so each year we're going to have exponentially more problems, and I'd like to see a way to either measure that or to name it, because naming is what, what really captures the attention of the people in the media. Anyway, you've answered I yeah. think, as much as you can, <laughs> and thank you very much. There's, there's something that one needs to say. I mean, one hears about this, oh, we've got five years left. It sounds crummy, you know. Yeah. Um, what, five years, so yeah. what, 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 why, you know. Well, there's a reason. The thing is that for ever since 1989, when Hansen, uh, what's his first name? Jim, Jim Hansen of... Uh, NASA. NASA, yeah, went in front of Congress and told them climate change is a problem. Global warming <clears throat> is a severe problem. We need to address it. That's when it started to go public. We've wasted 20 years. It was We were warned, if you don't do something, we're going to get past some tipping points where all of a sudden we're knocked into a different orbit. Right. And it, it, if we don't do something, we're going to go into dangerous climate change. Well, we didn't do anything, and now we've got dangerous climate change. We've got these hundreds of thousands of people dying. Okay? And that's just the beginning. So now we're trying to get into uh, going, uh, avoiding catastrophic climate change. And why that is, is because if methane starts coming out of the permafrost and the oceans and the methane, the hydrates, the uh, clathrates in the oceans... We're done for because it's 20 times stronger than carbon dioxide. And, this, and it's beginning to come out. And we'll go past a tipping point, and that's game over. Thank you so much. Hi, the name is Kristen Franken. Um, I've really appreciated... Pardon? Pick up the mic. The name is Kristen Franken. I really appreciate your presentation, but I have a few questions. Um, personally, I actually feel offended the way it was presented, how Alberta is the biggest CO2 polluting producer per capita. You have to realize you have, can't compare apples to flies. We are not as populated as other nations. Mm. So to go per capita to me is unrealistic. If you compare per square kilometer, square mile, that would make more sense. Because when my asthmatic daughter goes outside, she certainly doesn't get the fit that people in Hong Kong, for instance, get. So I think we really have to put some questions as to how things have been researched. And I'm going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate as well. Yes, there is global warming. Yes, we produce pollutants. Yes, we should be careful with how much we produce and how we address it and how we sustain limitations of it. Mm -hmm. And we should limit it. We should also address our waste problem. But yeah. we cannot take credit for all of the global warming. We can't be that cocky that humanity does that. What is happening is, for instance, research shows, geophysical research shows, that the magnetic poles are shifting. Every 250,000 years, the poles shift. North comes south, south is north. Last time it happened, 750,000 years ago. So we're half a million years overdue. As it is shifting and as it is destabilizing, the balloon around our planet, the magnetic field, that stops solar flares from coming in and solar particles from heating us up, that system is destabilizing. 
My question is, have yeah. you taken this in consideration where, indeed, there's global warming. I'm not dis disputing it. There is climate change. But are, can we take that much credit or debit for the level to which is happening? Are we taking in consideration there are natural phenomena happening we have no control over because we're this big? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. The scientists, I mean, every national academy, 97%, I mean, all the figures which I gave you, these people are the experts, not Marion and I. We're not the experts in this. We're in the business of presenting it and trying to help people understand it. But the experts have been over this. Thousands of scientists have been over this from every nation. And they, I'm sure they have looked at anything that you and I might come up with. And they have concluded that human beings are the predominant factor that is increasing climate change at the present time. There have been myriad other things in the past, but at the present time, the major force is humankind. So the answer is yes, they have considered it. I, I neglected to ask that when you're receiving the answer to your question, please go back to your seat so that we can keep the line moving. Thank you. Uh, thank you. My name is David Alina, and I wish to thank you wholeheartedly for your presentation. I entirely endorse every single word of it. My question basically is this. You're speaking to a very small group. Can you take your message up to Edmonton, up to Ottawa, and let them see what they're doing to Canada and the rest of the world? Thank you. Whether we, whether we can take it to Ottawa, I don't know. I, if they don't listen to Zoe, David Suzuki, they're certainly not going to listen to Marion and I, I don't think. But, um, I mean, uh, what we're... Okay, firstly, you're a small group here, but you're a very influential group. You're people I can see, you know, my sort of generation, where we've been around a bit, you know, um, and I'm sure you're an influential group, and, and you'll, part, you'll be very good at passing the message on. So this is the very type of group that we like to present to, but we try to do as many presentations as we can. I just saying at lunch that they did a presentation to... Uh, uh, to 100 school children just last week and we asked them what questions do you have There's no, there, was no, there was no questions forthcoming initially and I said well, what do you think about drilling under the Arctic ice the very question which I put here under you know we should change our thinking what do you think about drilling under the Arctic ice we haven't the slightest idea what we're going to do if there's a spill and there was, with one voice they went no like that so maybe we're making a little bit of a difference. But uh, I don't think if I went up to see Mrs. Redford, she's going to listen to us, <clears throat> let alone uh, Stephen. The thing is that Robin and I want to just start the ball rolling with every group we visit so that all of you then go out and do the same and talk to people and complain in letters to the letters to editors and governments and write to your politicians. Tell them you're not voting for them unless they go and do something about climate change urgently. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Um, Marion and Robert, thank you very much for giving such a clear picture. Some, uh, something that's very important today, and I commend you for uh, your efforts in, in getting this change in attitude in, in, in people regarding uh, uh, climate change. Um, 
my question to you, though, is that if we focus on making a change uh, in, in people's attitudes, um, one of the things that one of the factors that we have to look at is the, the expectations that we all have in our in our lives. Um, with seven billion people for the first time in all these years that you talked about, these millions of years that we've been on this earth, this is the first time we've had seven billion people on this earth. And we in this room are living at a level where not even a tenth of those can live at this level that we're living at. And they expect to live at the level we're living at. And so the forces are all there. We're going to have to lower our expectations a great deal. Do you think that that's likely? I think it's something, I think we have to move forward on all fronts. And one of them is being political. The other is this huge change of heart, huge um, change in our um, lifestyles. I think what we need is we're overdue for having a renaissance. And if we can get our satisfaction just like we used to, uh, not so long ago, from artistic expression, then people's time is filled up with joy and fun-making and theatricals and music and performing arts. And, it, and it's just absolutely wonderful. It would be a blossoming instead of all this advertising, <laughs> this garbage you see on the TV. You know, it would be a, a, a such a more beautiful world. And uh, uh, I think we're just so overdue for a renaissance. It's not about stuff. And young people, um, as I was mentioning, young people today are not so much, the, they're not buying cars. I mean, for one thing, they're incredibly in debt. They can't find jobs. They go to universities and come out absolutely, you know, smothered in debt. Um they're going to have to make their own amusements. My mother, when she was, she was always telling me how her family grew up, that every member of the family played a musical instrument. And, the, and cousins and aunts and uncles had come around, they played billiards and they'd make music and they'd have jokes and, and, and do all sorts of things and go for walks. In the, they lived right in the middle of London, so they'd go for walks in Hyde Park and things like that. But we have the mountains. So there's other things, you know, we need, we need, instead of the GDP, we need a happiness index. The GDP is not a measure of anything very useful. If you measure the wrong things, you'll get the wrong results out and you'll start doing the wrong things as a result of it. We want to measure how happy and well people are, a well-being index and a renaissance. Uh, my name is Trevor Page. Thanks for your presentation, both oral and visual, it had great impact. Some at the table that I was sitting at were alarmed at your, your, your graph on the CO2 footprint for Alberta. And perhaps you have it in this evening's presentation, but could you give us a breakdown on a rough one, on what proportion of the gases are due to industry and what proportion are due to ordinary human beings? I mean, an industry 
in addition to the oil and, and, and gas and coal, I include uh, livestock as well. I mean, how much or what is the proportion of CO2 that ordinary people are emitting in Alberta? Because if it's all oil sand, of course we know we have a small population here. No, it, it isn't. I mean, we don't know the answer because we've, we've still, this is ongoing research on our part to find out what information is out there. And so far, we just haven't come across that particular bit of information. But, I mean, at the moment, I think that... Um, we get 74% of our electricity from coal, and coal is the biggest actual source at the moment. And carbon capture and storage can only really relate to coal, not oil and gas, because you need a point source. You put it on the chimney stack or something. You can't do it with the oil sands. So, and the oil sands is growing so fast, it will become a big thing, but how it relates to the methane from cows and the humans, we've got to sort that out. We'll let you know in a while. I'll try and put it on our web page. I mean, Ontario, you know, by contrast, is making big strides. I mean, they're making a real effort. I believe, just as Marion mentioned, the coal-fired uh, coal power plants, that Ontario is, I mean, is closing them down rapidly. They'll be down to something like 7% of their energy from coal-fired power plants very soon, you know, within two or three more years. It, and here we are, over 70%. So we just built a new one. And, and we've, we've, exactly, as Marion says, we've, we've just sanctioned another new coal-fired power plant, the only place in Canada, maybe the only place in North America that's still approving uh, electric uh, um, coal-fired power plants. So we're, I mean, the numbers, uh, and the lady was quite right, we have a small population. But generally speaking, and anyone would deny it, is we're not making any effort in Alberta. We're not making any effort at all, never mind the, the pre precision of the exact numbers. We're not doing any damn thing. And, uh, and that's what has to change. And hopefully you people will help. Uh, just one other thing, uh, just before um, Cheryl mentions it. If, if you know of any other group like this group or any other group where people would pre appreciate a presentation on this topic, um, please let us know because we're prepared to do presentations anywhere. You know, I'm looking at 30 to 50 presentations this year. Schools. To schools, any group. So if you know of a group or you belong to another group, um, please let us know. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robin and Marian. And uh, that ends our session today. A lot of uh, th to think about. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.